Chapter Ten of Lives of the Most Remarkable Criminals, Volume Three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lives of the Most Remarkable Criminals, Volume Three, by Author L. Hayward. Chapter Ten. The Lives of Peter Levy, John Featherby, Stephen Burnett, Alias Barnett alias barnum and thomas vox street robbers footpads thieves etc in the course of these memoirs i have more than once remarked that a ridiculous spirit of vainglory is often the source of those prodigious mischiefs which are committed by those abandoned persons who addict themselves to open robberies and carry on as it were a declared war against mankind theft and rapine may to some appear odd subjects for acquiring glory and yet it is certain that many especially of the younger criminals have been chiefly instigated in their most daring attempts from a vain inclination to be much talked of in order to which this seemed to them the shortest course but these observations that i have made will be better illustrated from the following lives than they could have been in any other way peter levy was descended from honest and reputable parents who gave him a very good education and afterwards bound him out apprentice to a silk weaver but such as the perverse disposition of this unfortunate lad such his love of gaming and such his continual inclination to debauched company that nothing better could be expected from him than what afterwards befell him yet his understanding was very tolerable he did not want a sufficient share of wit and in a word his capacity altogether might have enabled him to have lived very well if his prodigious vices had not prevented it by hurrying him into misfortunes it was remarkable in this criminal that his long habit of carrying the detestable trade of stealing to which he incurred himself in every shape as much as possible had given so odd a cast to his visage that it was impossible for a man to look him in the face without immediately guessing him to be a rogue yet while a boy he had been so accustomed to confinement in the compter especially in wood street that he had contracted a friendship with all the under officers in that prison who treated him with great leniency as often as he came there picking pockets sneaking goods out of shops snatching them through windows and such other petty facts were the employments of his junior years as he grew bigger he grew riper in all sorts of villainy though never a fellow had worse luck in dishonest attempts for he was always detected and very frequently had gone through lesser punishments of the law such as whipping and hard labor at one time he lay four years in newgate for a fine and this finished the course of his villainous education for from the time he got out he never ceased to practise robbing in the streets and on the roads to the villages near london till he and his companions fell into the hands of justice and went altogether to their last adventure at tyburn john featherby the second of these criminals had received a greater share of education than any of the rest his father had been a man of tolerable circumstances and with great care provided that this fellow should not be ignorant of anything that might be necessary or convenient for him to know in that business for which he designed him viz a coach painter 
but he did not live to see him put apprentice to it which his mother afterwards took care to do and consequently he had not the misfortune of seeing him live so scandalous a life and die so shameful a death his understanding was tolerable but his behaviour so rude so boisterous and shocking that he left no room even for that compassion to which all men are naturally prone when they see persons under sentence of death the desire of appearing brave and making the figure of a hero in low life was in all probability the occasion of his acting so odd a part and as he was generally looked upon as their thief by those unfortunate creatures who were of his gang possibly he put on this ferocity in his manner in order to support his authority and preserve that respect and superiority of which these wretches are observed to be inexpressibly fond stephen burnett alias barnett alias barnham which was his true name was a child when he died and a thief almost from his cradle his parents who were people of worth sent him to school with a design doubtless that he should have acquired some good there but stephen made use of that time to visit a master of his own choosing the celebrated mr jonathan wilde at whose levy he was a pretty constant attendant and while an infant he was a most assiduous companion and assistant to the famous blueskin my readers may be perhaps inquisitive how an infant of eight years old could in any way assist a person of blueskin's profession for their information then perhaps for their security i must inform them that while blueskin and one of his companions bought a pair of stockings or two or three pairs of gloves in a large shop stephen used to creep on all fours under the counter and march off with goods perhaps to the value of ten twelve or twenty pounds but alas he was not the youngest of mr wilde's scholars i myself have seen a boy of six years old tried at the old bailey for stealing the rings of an oyster woman's fingers as she sat asleep by her tub and after his being acquitted by the compassion of the jury jonathan took him from the bar and carrying him back upon the leads lifted him up in his arms and turning to the spectators said here's a cock of the game for you of my own breeding up but to return to barnum his friends no sooner found out the villainy of his inclinations but they took all methods imaginable to wean him from his vices they corrected him severely they offered him any encouragements on his showing the least visible sign of amendment they put him to seven several trades upon liking but all this was to no purpose nothing could persuade him to forsake his old trade which following with indefatigable industry he made a shift to reach the gallows of an old offender at almost nineteen years of age after he featherby vox and levy became acquainted they suffered no time to be lost in perpetuating such facts as were most likely to supply them with money roving abroad almost every night in quest of adventures and returning very seldom without some considerable prey perhaps my readers may be inquisitive as to what became of all this money why really it was spent in drink gaming and in whores three articles which ran so high amongst these knight-errants in low life that barnum and two more found a way to lavish a hundred and twenty pounds on them in three weeks 
on one of his nocturnal expeditions in company with levy and featherby they robbed one mr brown in dean's court by st paul's churchyard of a gold watch and thirteen guineas upon which the gentleman thought fit it seems to offer in the newspapers a reward of five guineas for restoring the watch not many days after he received a penny post epistle from mr barnum in which he was told that if he came to a field near sadler's wells and brought the promised reward of five guineas along with him he should be there to meet a single person at half an hour after six precisely who would restore him his watch without doing him any injury whatsoever at the time appointed the gentleman went thither found barnham walking alone well dressed with a laced hat on who immediately came up to him and receiving the five guineas presented him with his watch mr brown having no more to do with him immediately turned round about to go back upon which barnum produced a pistol ready cocked from under his coat you see says he it is in my power to rob you again but i scorn to break my word of honour levy and featherby it seems were posted pretty near and as they all declared intended to have shot the gentleman if he had brought anybody with him or had made the least opposition or noise at kingston's assays he was tried for a robbery committed in surrey but for want of sufficient evidence was acquitted upon which he returned immediately to his old trade about three months before he was apprehended for the last time he came into little britain the place where he was born produced a silver spoon and fifteen shillings in money declared it to be the effects of that day's exploits and then climbing up a lamp-post thrust his head through the iron circle in which in winter time the lamp is placed declaring to the neighbours who called him and advised him to reform that within three months he would do something that should bring him to be hanged in the same place as to the time he was not mistaken though he was a little out as to the manner and place of his execution and we mention this fact only to show the amazing wickedness of so young a man of which we shall hereafter have occasion to say a great deal more thomas fox was a fellow of no education at all whether he had been bred to any employment or not i am not able to say but that which he followed was sweeping of chimneys the profits of which he eked out with thefts in which he continued undiscovered for a long space of time in himself he was a fellow void of almost every good quality disliked even by his own companions for his brutal behaviour which he still kept up even under his misfortunes and ceased not to behave with an obstinate perverseness even to the last moment of his life the fact for which all this gang suffered was for robbing one mr clark at the corner of water lane in fleet street now called whitefriars street which at their trial was proved upon them by witnesses in the following manner mr clark the prosecutor disposed that going in a coach from st paul's to the inner temple he saw three or four persons dogging it from a toy shop at the corner of st paul's churchyard that he scarce lost sight of them until he came to the end of water lane where barnham and fox stopped the coach he then looked out and saw them very plainly levy stepped into the coach put his hand into his pocket and tore his breeches down in taking out the things 
Featherby all the while holding a pistol to his breast, the things they took from him were a silver watch, value four pounds, a diamond ring, three pounds eleven shillings in silver, and fourteen guineas. Then the confessions of Levy and Barnum before Sir William Billers, Knight and Alderman were read, in which they owned that they committed the robbery on Mr. Clark, and that Featherby and Vox assisted therein sir william also attested that they made the said confession freely without any promises made or being threatened in case of refusal thomas wood swore that going to apprehend featherby and one cable in a house in blue boar's head alley in barbican they both snapped their pistols at him but that neither of them went off mary vox wife of the prisoner thomas vox having first excused herself from giving any testimony against her husband deposed that she saw the rest of the prisoners commit the robbery at the end of water lane and that levy got into the coach upon which evidence taken altogether the jury found them guilty without going out of the court when they received sentence of death they all behaved themselves very audaciously except levy who appeared penitent and excused himself of the misbehavior he had been guilty of at his trial during the time they remained under sentence of death at newgate this last-mentioned criminal levy appeared truly sensible of that miserable state in which he was he attended the public devotion at chapel with great seriousness except when his audacious companions pulled him and disturbed him when he would sometimes smile as he had passed through the former part of his life without thought or reflection so he seemed now awakened all at once to a just sense of his sins in a word he did everything which so short a space could admit of to convince those who saw him that he minded only the great business he had to do viz the making of his peace with that god who he had so much offended featherby as has been said persisted in that brutal behavior for which he had been remarkable amongst his gang at chapel he disturbed the congregation by throwing sticks at a gentleman laughing and talking to his companions sometimes insulting and beating those who were near him and in fine encouraged the rest of his companions to behave in such a manner that the keepers were reduced to the necessity of causing them all four to be chained and nailed down in the old condemned hold for fear of their committing some murder or other before they died which they often threatened they would do there they continued for three or four days until upon the promise of amendment and behaving better for the future they were released brought back again to their respective cells and at times of public devotion up to chapel when the death warrant came down featherby pretended to be much more moved than could be expected seemed in dreadful agonies at the remembrance of his former wicked and impudent behavior prayed with great fervency and said he hoped that god would yet have mercy on him barnham continued unmoved to the last he did indeed abstain from ill language and disturbing people at chapel but employed his time in his cell in composing a song to celebrate the glorious actions of himself and his companions this was work he very much valued himself upon and sending for the person who usually prints the dying speeches he desired it might be inserted 
but it containing incitements to their companions to go on in the same trade in the strongest terms he was capable of framing them in his design was frustrated and they were not published vox behaved a little more civilly after their being stapled down in the condemned hold but throughout the time of his confinement appeared to be very obstinate and an incorrigible fellow levy was twenty-four years old featherby about the same age barnham near nineteen and vox twenty-three at the time they suffered being on the eleventh of november seventeen twenty eight in company with nine other malefactors a paper written by featherby's own hand which he delivered to the ordinary of newgate in the chapel immediately before they went to be executed as it is my sad misfortune to come to this untimely end i think it my duty to acknowledge the justice of almighty god and that of my country and i humbly implore pardon of the divine goodness and forgiveness of all that i have injured or in any ways offended it is a sad reflection upon my spirit that i have had the blessing and advantage of honest and pious parents whose tender care provided for my education so that i might have lived to god's glory their comfort and my own lasting felicity but i take shame to myself and humbly acknowledge that by the evil ways i have of late followed i neglected my duty to my great creator and brought grief to my dear and tender mother and having thus far and much more offended against god and man i hope and earnestly desire that no prudent nor charitable person will reflect upon my good mother or any other friend or relation for my shameful end john featherby End of chapter 10